Hello and welcome to Fill Me Up. I'm Steve Walker and this is the show to help fuel your film discussions. Um, everything's cancelled, everything's cancelled. Tenet's been cancelled, there's no release date for that. Star Wars have pushed back, Avatar's pushed back, Mulan doesn't have a date. Oh, what's happening? Um, I don't know, there's not really much to say about it. It's just everything that you thought you were going to go and see at the cinema you're not going to see it. Spider-Man 3 has been pushed back. Other things have been pushed back. Quiet Place 2 has been pushed back. Uh, other stuff. Just, well, they'll come out eventually. New Mutants, who knows? Maybe it, that's the only one that's not been pushed back. That's still coming out in August, apparently. Uh, chances are it might end up on Disney+, Plus, but apparently there's some contract thing that they have to release in the cinema. I don't know. Who knows? Um, but... Uh, the other thing that I want to talk about is all the. This is a this is a nice thing. This is a good thing that's happened uh, due to coronavirus and stuff. Um, so online there has been various kind of reunions of film casts and things, and uh, I think Josh Gad has been a part of a bunch of those. He's got people together from like Back to the Future. I think there's been a Lord of the Rings one. Uh, there was an X Men one where I saw that Ryan Reynolds crashed the party, and some of the new X Men crashed the party of the old X Men, which was funny. Uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, the cast of that did a table read uh, recently, um, which is all not. I think it's nice, nice fun stuff because obviously you can't go and see stuff at the cinema, so I think it's nice to have that uh, thing for for fans, and it probably would help helps the actors as well. It's probably good for them because they couldn't. They can't slash couldn't film. Like, I think they can film some stuff now, but... Yeah, it's just... Just some... And I reckon it'd be... I've not really watched any of them, but I think that it, it, it's obviously going to be fun for, like, the fans of those franchises and stuff. But obviously, there's obviously going to be some of the little tidbits and behind-the-scenes stuff, which could be quite interesting. So, I do... I am uh, I am keen to, to watch some of those, but it's just taking the time out to watch them. Maybe do something in the background, but yeah the first section of the show is of course alpha set and this week we're looking at k the letter k so this is uh this is where i'll take three uh films that i have never seen before in my life and i i basically i watch them and do a little non-spoiler review they all begin with a k this week um, let's just I was going to try and think of some, some funny films that begin with K but I uh, my brain's just gone blank so let's just crack on with the very first film of this week and that is Killer Elite um, so this is about a retired mercenary who is drawn back in when his partner is kidnapped by a sheikh demanding the assassination of three former SAS soldiers um, let's do some Stats and numbers, it came out in 2011, got a $70 million budget, made $57 million, so uh, lost uh, lost a large chunk of change, because you remember you need to, uh, time, times the budget by two, you need to double the budget uh, to account for marketing, so obviously lost a fair bit of money there. Um, people, it's got mixed reviews, it's got a 6.4 on IMDb, which is not bad at all, but the critics did not like it, uh, they give it a 27% out. I was going to say 27% out of something, but it's just, well, I guess it's out of 100, 27% on Rotten Tomatoes. I myself gave it a 
6 out of 10 uh, because it's an interesting premise, but it is kind of boring. Um, so this is a film that is based on a book. It's one of those ones. Uh, and the book is by Sir Ranulph Fiennes. Uh, you may know that name uh, because he is the intrepid explorer. Uh, first to visit both the North Pole and the South Pole. First to trek across Antarctica. And he's also done a bunch of other stuff, uh, army things and, and other things uh, of note. Uh, but he's also written some books, and one of the books that he wrote is uh, called The Feather Men. Um, it's been highly contested as whether it is fact or fiction. Um, he basically says it depends on what day you get me, whether it's fact or fiction, which to me means it's fiction, but uh, he's actually said the book is factional, so uh, I don't know. There's probably elements of fact in there, and then he's just embellished it. I don't know. Um, the film itself says it's based on true events, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter whether it's based on true events or not. It's all about whether it's good. Um, first thing that I noticed in this film was that the cast is kind of confusing because there's going to be a bunch of British people, but then they'll cast uh, a guy called Dominic Purcell, uh, who is in Prison Break, Legends of Morrow. He was Dracula in Blade Trinity. Uh, and he's got a very dodgy accent, dodgy British accent, like a Lundy, London, Lundy cop. Cockney, London. See, Lundy is, is for those that aren't aware, Lundy is a London uh, Cockney accent, but you just say it quicker. So it comes out as Lundy. Um, it doesn't. That's just me mucking up my words. London, he did this weird London Cockney accent, and it was weird, and I, I don't know. There's a lot of other weird accents going on. It's, I don't know. It was just a bit like, if you're going to cast a British, like if you want a British person, get a British, per British person. I don't understand why they do that. Like, ah, um, but it makes the thing that I noticed out of this. Another thing that I noticed quite early on is that it makes use of the nineteen eighties setting, um, and the and I noticed that immediately because there's some absolutely top notch facial hair going on. I mean, the designs are great. The execution is probably not that great. It looks kind of stuck on, but they look. It's bold, and I like it. Um. The outfits are also kind of nice, kind of fun. There's nothing kind of bright and out there, but it, it's kind of fun uh, looking back at what people used to wear. Um, just talking about the start, it had an, a kind of a nice setup. It shows the crew in action. Uh, they're very slick. They work well together. Um, well, then Jason Statham's character kills some people in front of a girl, and he decides to call it a day. So he retires... I don't know, it's a bit strange. I mean, he's not killed the kid. Like, and he didn't look particularly reluctant to be involved at first. Like, I don't know why, like, all of a sudden a kid's seen it and it's like, oh no, what am I doing? Like, it's, I don't know, it just seemed a bit odd. Um, But anyway, uh, Robert De Niro, the, the I'm going to say Academy Award winning Robert De Niro. I don't actually know, he should have won one if he hasn't. I think he should. Um. Maybe you won for Godfather too. That seems that's probably seems right. I guess I don't know, um, but he's very good in this. He's not in it a lot, um, and I don't feel he's utilized much. Like he doesn't get to flex his acting muscles, but he's pretty serviceable for what it is. And like it's, I think having a name like that um, gives it a bit of clout. Um, and Jason Statham, I know that he is famous for his fight scenes and stuff, but he doesn't have that many. I thought, like I didn't 
know that much going into this, but the film called Killer Elite, you expect like a lot of like fighting and stuff. And from what I'd seen and heard, I thought there was going to be a bit kind of non-stop action. But it's kind of a bit more planning and kind of a bit more, I don't know, thinky, I don't know. Uh, the fight scenes, though, are pretty impressive, uh, especially the ones between Jason Statham and Clive Owen. Yes, Clive Owen is in this film. Um, and there are some brutal death scenes, which are, are well done, I thought. Um, I think sometimes this film, it's almost seems a bit nonsensical. Like, it didn't make sense. Like, one of the things that is kind of a... I was going to say a made... One of the things that is kind of a bit of a sticking point for this is that you, they need some confessions from these SAS soldiers, but they basically they, they basically kill them first and then ask questions later. It's like why not like like why would they confess to something on their deathbed like without like you you basically killed them anyway. Like it's you like it's almost like you've done the torture and then asked the questions and then it's like why would I tell you now because you've already tortured me like I'm not gonna I don't know but it seems like the odd way around to do it but that's what happened um also it seemed like a lot of problems could have been solved with a chat over a cup of tea like there was it's hard to understand some motives especially Clive Owen's character um I mean I think he he has some connection to the SAS soldiers so I get that but like there's different organizations working against each other and it was just a bit like, why don't you just talk to each other rather than the whole film kind of just being like, oh, I don't know what's going on. Who are these people? Like, and that, later on, I thought there'd be a double cross, but there isn't one. And I don't know. And it didn't, it just didn't happen as I expected it to. Like, sometimes that's not a bad thing, but I think that this film, there wasn't much to it. And the fact that they didn't have anything interesting like that didn't help it, I feel like. Um, I don't think the lack of action necessarily hinders it. I think it is, it like, you could, the film could work without, like, it works with the amount of action it's got. It's just that there's no drama around it. Like, there's potential, but obviously nobody talks to each other. So there's no, like, revelations and stuff. You don't get... No one understands anything further. Like, they spend, like, the majority of the film going, who's this person chasing me? And they're just like, I don't care, just kill him. Like, what? I just, it's just like nobody's, like, got... Nobody's trying to understand anything. Um, and it doesn't really get that interesting. Like, like I feel like you should either utilise all the characters in play and connect them together, like, do double crosses and stuff and things like that, or just don't have all of them. I mean, it, I think it's restricted because it was, it's a book. But, I don't know, it's just it's just a bit disappointing. Like, the end's kind of disappointing. There's a few characters that are killed off for seemingly no reason, but you don't really care because you haven't got to know them that much. De Niro actually gets to do something at the end, which is nice. Like, he, he has probably one of the best scenes in the film later in the end. Um, there's also a side bit with Jason Statham and Yvonne Strahovski, who's been in Chuck and I, Frankenstein, and a few other things. Um, and I think she's Australian. She gets to use her Australian accent, which is which is nice. And I think she's one of the best characters. Her and Statham kind of work well together and they look like a nice, lovely couple. But it's just, I don't know, overall, I just feel that there's, uh, it's a film that kind of had potential, but it's just boring. Um, there are some cool sequences in it, like the action, like some of the action is pretty cool and chase sequences, but it's just not that interesting. And you know how interesting this film is? Because I haven't even done any fun facts, because I couldn't really find anything. That's that's how 
uninteresting this film is. Anyway, let's move on. So, speaking of, but I wanted, but so I, but I feel like we've got to defend my six out of ten now because I've just banged on about it how bad it is. But it does have potential, and there are those good scenes, like I say, like Robert De Niro's good in it, Ivan Strahovski's good in it, her stuff's really good, and like there are like some of the action scenes are good. It's just a flat film, really. Is is kind of how I would describe it. But moving on to the next film that is a better film. It is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, so this is a, a small-time crook who teams up with a private detective in a murder mystery involving an aspiring actor and some shady goings-on. Um, came out in 2005, had a $15 million budget, but it only made $16 million. So it lost a bit of, bit of, bit of chunk of change. Um, but it was only a limited release, um, so that's that'll be why. It does seem fairly popular, though, because it's got a 7.5 on IMDb and 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. I myself give it a 7 out of 10, because I thought it's pretty decent, though it is a little bit self-indulgent at times. Um, so this film has Robert Downey Jr. in it. That's right, Iron Man is in this film, but it is pre-MCU, so it's kind of fun to see see him in a pre-MCU role. He plays the role very well, um, and it's pretty good casting for like the sarcastic protagonist. He does narration as well that kind of works well sometimes with kind of it makes fun of sometimes makes fun of the audience, but and, like the way that he talks to the audience is very it works well for an RDJ character. Val Kilmer is also in this. He he pairs up with rdj uh, and he he's great in this they thought they worked really well together and um, they're often kind of ribbing each other but they they do seem to click like from the off like pretty much from the get-go um the plot in itself is very good there's lots of kind of happenstance and coincidence but it all makes for a good story like it's it's all stuff that you can kind of brush over or whatever and it's it, it doesn't the thing that helps this film a lot is that it doesn't take itself seriously at all um like it's got narration and pauses and like fourth wall breaks and stuff and like it just doesn't take itself seriously like it keeps but it does keep you hooked the whole time um which is not necessarily an easy thing to do um sometimes though with the fourth wall breaks and stuff it is a bit too self-referential like it references film tropes and things which i don't think it needs to do that because i understand what they're trying to do there like they're trying to add to the kind of tongue-in-cheek nature tongue-in-cheek what do I say tongue-in-cheek the tongue-in-cheek nature of the film but I, I feel like it does a good enough job of that already like you don't need to kind of put that in there like it's fine like it's fun enough already um there is some nice callbacks there's a fun interesting opening scene which you don't really know where it's going like especially because you go from that and then it cuts forward like 40 years or whatever no not 40 years 20 years 30 years um but it fits in nicely i thought like they do they the narration kind of points it out a bit unnecessarily like like if you've not got this this is what it actually this look this is this is where this is that scene look with these people are these people and it's like okay right okay um i did enjoy uh robert danny jr's character like he's like he's very he's got morals in some ways obviously he's a thief so he's not that moral in some stuff but in the morals that he has, particularly in terms of kind of respecting women, he sticks to his guns on it, and he's very. It comes up a lot, and I think it's refreshing to kind of see that 
Um, because I feel like you rarely have a protagonist where he's like, "Well, this is is this not crossing boundaries and things like that sort of thing," which I think is nice. Um, I also liked his ability to kind of adapt to the situation. Like, it does spend some time kind of exploring kind of some of the trauma of what's going on, but it doesn't. Oh, like, and you get some nice character moments from that, but it doesn't overdo it. Like in a more serious film, you would dwell on that a bit more, but this isn't that sort of film, and it. I think it it's good that it kind of brushes over it. I'm glad it acknowledges it because I think it'd be kind of a bit un, like unbelievable, like it make him less relatable if he didn't have some sort of kind of worrying or, or concern or whatever. But um, yeah, I think it, I think it does a good job at kind of getting that balance right. Um, there's also an inclusion of like an in-world book series that I like, the Johnny Gossamer novels, which I think is really cool. It's a little wrinkle to the world that kind of, makes it all a bit more interesting and um, they do come into play later on in the plot but um which is nice uh, and i like the way that they worked it in but I, it doesn't it didn't need to be in it but i appreciate it that it was like you you didn't have to have those novels in there like you easily could have worked around it but i like the fact that they were in there and that they're part of the plot and stuff it's just a nice little kind of fleshing out of the world um the plot has a number of twists and turns that you don't see coming. It's very good in, that, in terms of kind of being a murder mystery and that sort of thing. Um, I'd have to watch it again to see if it's kind of solvable before it's explained, but um, and like see if it's teased enough throughout that you can work it out. But I didn't feel like it was overly complex or annoyingly obscure. Like I don't tend to try and piece things together. I'm happy to just go along, go along with with the flow and and just be there for the ride and whatever but um i mean all the clues and the final situ- final solution and stuff seem to make sense to me um and i think it does a good job of tying everything together um but let, let's do some fun facts this one is a fun film so it's got some fun facts um so this is actually the film that got robert downey jr the role of iron man in the mcu john favreau had actually seen the, him in this and he'd gone yeah i want i want him for iron man which um is a nice thing and he actually uh, robert downey jr actually repaid shane black who is the writer and director of kiss kiss bang bang he actually repaid him for getting him back into like the a-list uh by campaigning for him to make an mcu film uh which he did eventually make uh shane black wrote and directed robert downey jr in iron man 3 so it's a nice little nice little circling round of everything i think it was nice um this is the first Hollywood action film with an openly gay character um, as the lead, as well as one of the leads. So Val Kilmer in this plays a character called Gay Perry. I mean, he's just Perry, but people refer to him as Gay Perry because he's gay. Which I don't know whether that, I don't know. At first I thought, is that problematic? But I was like, I don't know. It's just, I guess, I guess maybe, I don't know. He didn't seem to have a problem with it. But it's, but uh, looking up the fact that he's called gay perry is actually a play on the phrase gay perry like when you talk about uh the capital city of france so it's i don't know i like it now that they've they've said that they've pointed that out um also there's a scene near the start of the house the start of the house near the start of the film um which has a house party and that was actually shot at the director shane black's house that was actually his house and he used to host those kind of house parties between his last film, which was The Long Kiss Goodnight in 1996 that he wrote, and this film. So in that 10-year span, uh, he actually did a bunch of 
those sort of house parties that you see at the start of this film, which I think was interesting. Um, overall, I think it's a, a great light-hearted murder mystery with some fun kind of lead performances, though I don't feel it needed as much fourth wall breaking um, and could have could have stood it a bit more on its own. Um, but yeah, I, I liked it a lot. Um, moving on to film numero tres. Um, this film is Knowing. Uh, so Nicholas Cage's kid receives a set of numbers from a 50-year-old time capsule, but then the numbers start to match up to tragic events, both past and future. Let's do some numbers. It came out in 2009, had a $50 million budget, made $184 million, so it's done some good business. Um, it's got a 6.2 on IMDb, a 32% on Rotten Tomatoes, so similar to Killer Elite. I, again, give this one 6 out of 10, because it's intriguing, but then it goes absolutely bonkers. Um, Nicolas Cage is typical Nicolas Cage. Um, to be fair, he starts off not so bad, but the plot goes ridiculous, so it kind of makes sense for the performance of Nicolas Cage to then also be ridiculous. Um, like I say, the film starts off pretty good. It starts off intriguing. There's a creepy girl in the 50s. I enjoyed the 50s aesthetic a lot. I wasn't expecting it, so I, I found it refreshing and kind of interesting. Um, I was like, ooh, where's this going? Uh, yeah, you have the typical kind of get-to-know-the-characters bit, and then the opening of the time capsule uh, in 2009. I felt that was a bit underwhelming, if I'm honest. Like, I, I didn't notice many callbacks to the burying of the time capsule because I think it would have been nice to have it. Like, you basically got the exact same shots as you did in the 50s section, but in reverse. I thought that would have been nice, but they didn't have that too much. It wasn't kind of shot that well. Well, it was just... It wasn't shot fine, but it was just a bit plain and boring. There was nothing particularly interesting about it. Um, the overall atmosphere, though, for the film, I thought was very good. Um, kind of this kind of oppressive. Um, it's kind of it came out in two thousand nine, which was like the peak of like brown and grey, like everything being brown and grey, or films and TV and games and whatever. Everything was brown and grey. But for this, I think it works. Um, there are scenes of the disasters that you see. There's some ropey CGI, but I found them to be a lot more brutal than I was expecting. Because I don't know why, but I thought this film was like. A 12 in in the UK, but it, it mustn't have been because you see people burning, you see people like being crushed. I saw like a bunch of like critics reviews and stuff, and they said that that stuff was kind of a bit cringeworthy. But I think it's just it's kind of out of nowhere, and like like you go from this conspiracy like mystery film, and then all of a sudden there's like horrific deaths that sometimes don't look that good because of CGI. And like I did, I enjoyed the brutality of it because it's kind of so sudden and different to the rest of the film. But obviously, other people didn't, and they found it a bit kind of cringeworthy and funny at times. Um, there are some philosophical concepts that are mentioned early on, but unfortunately, it doesn't really explore it that much. I thought it kind of might have been like a bit of a kind of smart film that you kind of get a bit more kind of theoretical, but. Nicolas Cage instead just blunders about. Um, I feel like you needed another character to kind of offset him to be like this contrary view because he's like, because Nicolas Cage is like, oh, I've got to stop these things. I've got to try and do things, 
help i've got to, i've got to make do action and blah 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 whereas i feel like you needed someone else to be like but what why like why like how are you gonna do that like they had a character of ben they, they had a character set up a professor played by ben mendelson who's in rogue one and and other stuff he kind of pops up ready play one he's a great australian actor he was set up for that sort of role, I feel like, but he was underutilized. He's not in it that much, um, because I. But I felt like throughout the film that I couldn't help but think like, how how is Nicolas Cage planning to to stop a disaster when he doesn't know a what time exactly it'll happen or b what the disaster will be, like, like everything that he does seems to just be wrong to me. And like, especially when he so the, he actually interacts with the daughter of the creepy fifties girl, and that the way that he does that isn't great. I felt like um, she's played by Rose Byrne, um, who's fine. She doesn't get a lot to do, um, but I think, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel like she's got a few questionable motives and decisions. Like she has a bit of a flip turn at one point, and she's just like, what? Like okay. I don't understand. Right, okay. Um, but yeah, like, all of this being said, anyone that, if you've watched Knowing, which if you did uh, follow me, if you do follow me on the Twitter, then you will have known the films that I was doing and you may have watched along. And if you did, then you will know that this film takes a, a bit of a turn. And the real talking point is where the plot goes. I'm not going to do any spoilers for it, but let's just say it ups the stakes to the highest degree. Uh, it does answer some questions about some of the weird stuff that's been happening. But if I'm honest, I had just as many questions, if not more, after the film had ended. Um, and once you kind of... There's a point when you start to kind of work out where the film is going. And at that point, you can't take it seriously anymore. Like it just becomes like almost a parody of what it would be, what the film was actually trying to do. But the film itself is kind of very, takes it all very seriously, which is just bizarre. Um, I mean, the the serious kind of tone is fine to start with because you're like, oh, this is interesting. But then it just goes absolutely mental. And you're like, you can, what? You can't take this seriously. Um, and I feel at that bit, at that point, it just doesn't fit with the rest of the film. Like they're, they're almost like two separate films. Um, also, at the end, it doesn't hold your hand in terms of like explaining stuff. So like you have to assume a few things. And then there's like there's a point where I was like, oh yeah, I feel like I understand what's going on, and I, I pieced it all together. And I was like, oh, this is this is crazy. But I guess is this what that's supposed to be? And then it goes, oh no, th- something else is happening, and now that thing that you thought was that it's not that anymore and you're like oh what and i feel like the ambiguity just doesn't help it at all like the whole film is basically like been you've been trying to work out what these numbers mean and how it all fits together and what what the reason is behind it and everything and then like you don't really know at the end and i mean it's just strange like but nicholas cage's character just sort of accepts it and like i don't know it's it's weird like i don't think he i don't think the character is well written because he doesn't do a lot of why he doesn't think why very much or should i he's just sort of a man of action which i think is i don't know i think can work in a film like this but i feel like in a in this particular film he would have benefited from having a bit more 
pausing and going, mm, why? Um, there are some nice looking destructive shots at the end uh, and some nice character moments, but it's just all overshadowed by how just stupid the, the, the end is. I mean, it's, I'm not going to say that it's awful, but it is just so stupid in terms of like, I don't know. Like just, it's just, it's a thought of thing that you would have written like as a joke and they've gone, yeah, okay, we'll do that. And you're like, no, what? No. Um, but let's, let's get into some little, little facts about this. So there's a couple of concepts that, that kind of pop up a little bit around kind of the film and, they, they. I feel like they. These are the things that you could have explored more, but they're only touched upon or kind of not even mentioned. But there's a concept called apophenia, which is the phenomenon of people searching for patterns in randomness. So in this case, in lists of numbers, which I think would have been an interesting thing to go down. They did briefly mention it. Uh, ben Mendelsohn's character does briefly go. They're just numbers, mate. But they don't really kind of carry that on. Um. There's also one called the Cassandra Complex, uh, which is kind of being able to see a future disaster, but no one believing you. It's based on like a Greek myth, presumably with Cassandra, um, which I think would have been another interesting thing to kind of go down. Um, but like everyone, people seem, I don't know, he seems to get people to believe him. I don't know, it's just weird. But anyway, uh, there is a bit in this film where they talk about a fire on an oil rig in the Gulf happening. Like that's kind of a something that's happened in one of the disasters. Um, but this film came out in 2009, and one year later, uh, the BP oil spill happened, um, and that was also in the Gulf. So you could say that this film about future disasters and preventing them itself predicted a future disaster, but it obviously didn't prevent it. Um, also, Liam Hemsworth makes his debut, his film feature film debut, I've put little Liam Hemsworth because he's a little student in in one of Nicolas Cage's uni lectures. Um, Liam Hemsworth went on to basically be in The Hunger Games and some other stuff that people don't really watch that much. I don't know what else he's in that much. He's in a few other things. Um, he, he's probably most famous for The Hunger Games and Marion Miley Cyrus, though. Um, I would say that this film is worth watching just for the absolutely... I was going to say absolutely an actual, but I combine the two. The actually, absolutely crazy ending. Um, I feel you should at least read the plot on Wikipedia. You're probably just as confused as I was when I watched it. I mean, it's not a great film by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel like they had potential if they'd reined it in. And if they'd like gone, I don't know, they almost like tied, they, they wrote themselves into a corner and were like, as soon as you meant, like you even broach where this could go you've got to go there basically otherwise this is just crazy but uh yeah i think uh, it's just it's fair play to them they went all out they went balls deep into that weird craziness and it's it's a it's it's a thing it's a thing i have i have respect for them for going for it though let's move on to the film that wasn't... Well, it's not the film, it's a film that wasn't. Uh, but it's the film that wasn't this week. It's the it's the one that we're covering this week. And this one is a, is a recent one. This is a very recent one. And it's one that I uh, am kind of excited to talk about. It's The Inhumans. Um, 
So this is a film that was supposed to be in the MCU Phase 3, the Mar- Phase 3 of the Marvel Cinema- Cinematic Universe. And today it is the only MCU film that has been announced but never made. Um, it was first mentioned to be in development in 2011, um, which is right at the start of the MCU. Uh, Captain Mem- first Captain America, first Avenger, and Thor, the first Thor film, was released in 2011. But, um, yeah, let's, let's, I'll tell you what, let's talk about what the Inhumans are, because you will be wanting to know what they are. They're basically a cosmic version of the X-Men. Um, they're descended from ancient humans who were experimented on by aliens known as Kree. Um, the Kree of the blue people from Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain Marvel. Um, uh, this experimentation leaves them with an untapped gene, um, which is unlocked by exposure to a compound called Terrigen Mist. Um, this then gives them a superpower of some sort, like the mutants in X-Men. Um, so, it, the Inhumans mainly follows the royal family of the Inhumans, uh, the leader being Black Bolt, who has a voice that can bring down cities. So if he just whispers, then it would destroy cities. So he's basically a silent character. Uh, Medusa, his wife, I think, uh, she's got prehensile hair, so she can control stuff. A bit like Dr. Octopus with his arms, but imagine then that with your hair. Um, there's also some other ones that I don't really know much about. Um, but there is a huge dog that is the size of a sofa or a, or a small, very small car. Um, and he's called Lockjaw and he teleports. So that's fun. Um, also, they live on the moon. Just just to put that out there, it's comic books. Anyway, um, so the film, the MCU film, was officially now announced at the unveiling of the Phase 3 um, at the El Capitan Theatre in October 2014. Uh, the MCU mastermind Kevin Feige, uh, he showed off the slate of films with release dates and humans at that time were scheduled to come out on the 2nd of November 2018. Uh, as you'll know, we are past that, and this is why we're talking about it. Uh, Marvel had a track record in introducing unknown characters. Uh, in 2014, they brought out Guardians of the Galaxy, which nobody really knew about. It came out to rave reviews, and they've become some of the key players in the Infinity Saga. So, um, it's not—it's—it was not like a like it. It, it would have done well, is what I'm saying. Like, it's not like they had no faith in it. Um, they tried to build up some interest uh, in the years prior to the film. Um, they tried to build up interest in the Inhumans. Um, in 2013, there was a major crossover event in the comics involving the Inhumans. Um, it involved the Terrigen Mist bomb going off on Earth, uncovering thousands, maybe even millions of Inhumans across the world. Uh, this storyline in particular was actually used in Season 2 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is the spin-off from the Avengers films. Um, the And the story, this story arc was followed uh, in the comics by one where the Inhumans had to relocate to Earth um, after like a civil war or something. Um, and so they had a lot more interaction with the Avengers and kind of were more involved in Earth goings on, including going toe-to-toe with the MCU, big bad, the, the big ball chin himself, Thanos. Um, 
so yeah so it's obviously they it would have been a good fit for it and they probably would have gone with this sort of uh this sort of line of story uh in the film i guess um a few months after the phase three announcement though marvel made a deal with sony to include spider-man in the mcu and this guy is the biggest hero in the marvel canon so uh clearly they're going to give him priority so the release dates were shuffled around to slot spider-man homecoming in in 2017 and in humans after all that reshuffling was now scheduled for the 12th of july 2019 which at the time meant that it was going to come after avengers infinity war part two or as we know it now avengers endgame which means that the inhumans would no longer be part of the larger phase three story so any of that build-up and whatever and being involved with Bolchin himself probably wouldn't have made any difference and because they wouldn't have seen it um there's not really any info on kind of who was working behind the scenes on it and who was writing it or whatever or who was going to direct but vin diesel was rumored to be playing black bolt which kind of makes sense um because at the time in kind of 2014 he he well he signed on to play Groot to voice Groot in Guardians of the Galaxy but he's kind of a big actor and he's not the sort of guy to kind of sign on just to voice a tree and say three words a bunch of different ways so it was always kind of thought that he was in talks for a live action role and this one makes a lot of sense um well I wanted to introduce you to a guy so we've met we've met Kevin Feige people know about Kevin Feige the big MCU man um, but I wanted to introduce you to a guy called Ike Perlmutter. Uh, so Ike Perlmutter is the CEO of Marvel Entertainment, which is which is everything, comics, TV, films, really everything. Um, but Kevin Feige and the MCU had to report to him, so and other stuff. But uh, in tw- August 2015, Marvel Studios, which makes all the MCU films, they split from Marvel Entertainment. They became their own thing. And so now they and kind of were integrated into Walt Disney Studios, because uh, obviously when when they bought Disney bought Marvel out, they decided that they want to integrate the studio the film bit into the film bit of Disney, which makes a lot of sense. But in doing that, it means that they were separate from Marvel Entertainment, and so um, Kevin Feige in the MCU no longer had to report to Ike Perlmutter. Um, the TV shows such as Agents of Shield and stuff. Um, they were all still under Marvel Entertainment because they're not made by Marvel Studios. For example, ABC uh, makes ABC Studios makes Agents of Shield, and Netflix makes The Defenders and whatever. Um, but apparently, uh, in in times gone by, Kevin Feige and Ike Perlmutter had butted heads on some things. One of the hot topics seemed to be the Inhumans. Um, it seemed to be an Ike Perlmutter thing. Basically, it didn't seem like Kevin Feige wanted any part of it and this was confirmed when Inhumans was dropped from the release schedule in April 2016 so that and that's not long after the integration of Marvel Studios into Walt Disney Studios um but in November of that year Feige said Inhumans will happen for sure I don't know when I think it's happening on television and I think as we get into phase four as I've always said it could happen as a movie as a move me as a movie move me move me um 
as you can tell, he obviously has no inter- involvement in the television stuff, so he doesn't know whether it's been whether it's been a television show or whatever. But all he knows is they're not making it a film at the moment, um, and it's not being in phase three. Um, because he no longer has to report to White Pill Motor. He's not got him breathing on his neck going, make the film. Um, but as you will be aware, possibly, maybe not, I don't know. Phase four of the MCU has been announced. And as you may not, may or may not be aware, the Inhumans is not there. As Kevin Feige said it could do. But why is that? Well, after being dropped from the MCU, it was then picked up by Marvel Television Studios to be made into a series with an eight-episode first season. And that was going to be developed by ABC Studios, the same uh, studios that were being that, uh, that developed Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, though, this Inhuman series was not going to be related to any of the Inhuman stuff that being an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it wasn't going to be related to what the film was going to be, though I don't know what that was going to be. Nobody seems to know what that was going to be anyway, so it could have, it might have been, it might not have been. Um, though it it was said to take inspiration from the comics run that I talked about earlier, especially the one where the Inhumans come down to Earth, which makes a lot of sense uh, in terms of trying to save on budget. Um, but they didn't have to save on too much budget because IMAX decided that they wanted to get involved and they produced the first two episodes with a view for them to be shown in IMAX cinemas. Um, the president of Disney ABC television group, Ben Sherwood, at the time said, It's a quadruple win. A win for IMAX, a win for Marvel, a win for ABC Studios, and a win for ABC to launch a show in an innovative way and get attention. But... Nobody saw it. Uh, not because it wasn't released. It was released in Almex here in theatres, but nobody saw it. Uh, and you can tell that because it was beaten by a re-release of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That's right, the Steven Spielberg film from 1977 got a re-release and it beat out the IMAX uh, version of The Inhumans. Um, I'm going to say it's not really a wonder why because it was absolute crap. Uh, it's got an 11% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's said to be easily the worst Marvel production since the MCU started in I- with Iron Man in 2008, which, that is that is some going, because that's a lot of years. That's At the time, that was about, that was just under 10 years. It was the worst thing the Marvel have produced in 10 years since, and that's, there's a lot of stuff that they've done. Um... I haven't seen it myself. I am planning to see it at some point because I, I'm i a bit of a completionist, so I do want to watch all the MCU stuff, even all the stuff that's been cancelled. I think the fact that stuff's been cancelled is actually making me more eager to see it because I know there's less of it. Um, but like I say, I haven't seen it. But what I do know is that they shaved off Medusa's hair. So you know when I said that her power was that she can move stuff with her hair and she basically has prehensile hair that she can use to pick up stuff or whatever yeah they just shaved that off which don't know what are you doing um like i mean it doesn't anyway needless to say didn't get a second season um in march 20 a thing that actually has kind of put this the inhumans movie kind of 
dead in 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 the ground somewhere, uh, deep down, six foot down probably, um, is that in March 2019, Marvel, stu- well, Disney, Disney, in fact, bought Fox, 20th Century Fox Studios, Fox Studios, all, all the Fox stuff. I don't know. I guess 20th Century Fox is just a film. Bought Fox Studios. Um which means that Marvel could now integrate the X-Men into the MCU. And because the X-Men are a beloved franchise that has been going for ages and way more popular and way more well-known than the Inhumans, they are clearly going to get priority over the Inhumans, which are basically the the X-Men, but cosmic or whatever, I don't know. Um, It's basically the X-Men on the moon. Uh, Rumours are... At the moment, that Marvel are thinking of rebooting the Inhumans as a Disney Plus show, um, and rumours are that Vin Diesel will be in it. Um, it's not ludicrous. You see what I did there? Because ludicrous is in the Fast and the Furious things with with uh, Vin Diesel. You, see, you like it? You like it? You do like it? Um, I feel it's definitely something that they think about. Um, but let me give you a list of the upcoming Marvel Disney Plus shows. We've got The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, WandaVision, Loki, Hawkeye, Miss Marvel, Moon Knight, and She-Hulk. So, it's not going to come for a while. Because let's say that they're doing two a year, which is what it looks like they're going to be doing. You're not going to get... Let's say you add an Inhuman show straight away. That's the next show that they announce. Then it's not going to come till 2023, if not later. Um, so... I don't know, maybe enough time will have passed for for people to have forgotten the series. But also, I mean, nobody saw it anyway, so you can easily just be like, ah, who cares? Uh, it seems like they're going to say who cares with a lot of the TV stuff anyway, so whatever. Um, but yeah, that is the Inhumans that didn't happen in the end. Um, I think it could have been fun. I mean, Marvel, the, I feel it would have been good anyway, because the MCU... There's not really many stinkers in there. And even their their worst films are still good films. So, yeah, I think it would have been nice to see. And I think it would have been interesting. And had a few little... Bit, been in another team to to get involved. Um, but And you could have spun off a whole franchise of that. But I, I think it would have been better than the series anyway. The final section of the show is... Quick fic. Uh, so this is where I take one of 20 film characters, I put them in one of 20 film franchises and try and make a prequel, sequel, spin-off or a reboot. Um, in the past we've had uh, Kevin McAllister in Jurassic Park, we've had uh, John Wick in The Matrix, we've had Buzz Lightyear in Indiana Jones and we've also had Predator in Star Trek. So let's see what kind of film we're making this week. This is the big bit. We're making a spin-off. What are we making a spin-off of? We are making a spin-off of the X-Men. Talking of the X-Men, we're making a spin-off of the X-Men. And we're going to put in John McClane. We're making a die-hard film in the X-Men universe. Oh, baby. You want to know what I think? John McClane's a mutant. I don't know why. Let's just make it so. Let's make it so that he can walk on all sorts of things. As well as glass, he can walk on anything. Let's make it so that he can fit through a duct. Let's make it so that he can... Right, I've got a machine gun ho-ho-ho on people's jumpers. I don't know. Let's... Uh, but I feel that... having You need... You basically want to make a die-hard film, right? Because you can't have... 
a you want to make a diehard film in the X-Men universe. Um, it's a it's a spin-off, so you want to make it with other characters that aren't so like like the spin-off Wolverine. You want to spin off another character or another thing. So you don't want it to be so the fact that it's a spin-off means that you can have a just a conf- it, it it works perfectly for a confined sort of space you you get a warehouse you get a big manor house somewhere uh you could do it in the x mansion if you wanted maybe the x maybe the x men go off somewhere and you've got uh i don't know john mcclain maybe john mcclain's got a his son or daughter or whatever is a mutant and he comes to drop him off and maybe Colossus is there and stay behind. Isn't there one where Colossus and like, I don't know, Colossus and Kitty Pryde stay behind or something? And then there's, uh, and then the the whole X Mansion gets locked down, um, and John McClain has to help the X Men that are there to fend off whatever attack is happening, whether it's Sentinels or whether it's some sort of other mutants, brotherhood of evil mutants or whatever. Um, there is a storyline in the comics where Mysterio... I don't know this is really... Uh, this isn't really related, but I just wanted to mention it. There's a, a storyline where Mysterio actually... Um, I don't know how, but he manages to... Oh, yeah, he manages to conv- like put up like a hologram thing uh, and which convinces Wolverine that he's they're like in danger and stuff, and so he basically kill Wolverine then kills all the X Men in the X Mansion. I don't know whether you could have something like that. You could have one of the, you just have one person outside, one mutant outside controlling one of the mutants inside, like Colossus, and then John McClane has to then work his way around him, or he has to work his way through a bunch of different mutants that are getting mind controlled or something. I don't know, something like that. I think will be interesting. Uh, as long as you, I think just any sort of diehard thing where you get John McClane in the X Mansion uh, would work. Um, I don't know. It's uh, you could do you could do it in any place really. You could do it in a hospital. You could do it in uh, I don't know something like that. But I think any I think something like that would work the best and would definitely play to his strengths. It's it's the stuff that people enjoy. You obviously need some sort of communication with the outside body because that's when he works at his best when he's communicating with them. Um, so I think something like that would work pretty well. You could even go to multiple locations. Maybe you do the so maybe it's dial but in multiple locations, which would make it even easy, even more interesting. But you just get locked down again in the other location, not sure. Well, I don't know, would make it interesting. But yeah, that's that's the, that's the way to go in it. It's it, it's not much more to be said. You could make him. I don't know. I was gonna say, like the other thing is to make him a mutant. But I don't. I think that he is. I don't think that would take away from John McClane because he is best. He is at his best when he is on the back foot. When he's got no socks on. When he's just in his vest in a duct. That's when he's. That's when he's at his best. So. Yeah, something like that would work well, in my opinion. Um, it would give him, make him the underdog. It would put him on the back foot. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe he can get mind controlled at some point, but um, there's no point for him to be mind controlled because he's no good. He's just a human. What is he going to do? Um, so, yeah, I think 
that would be kind of interesting. Um, I don't know who you would. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of kind of an evil uh, mind reader, but I can't really think of any. But then you could just create. I'm sure there's one in the comic book somewhere. Just pluck someone out. I don't know. Um, but yeah, let's. Uh, I think that's good. Um, but if you have any other suggestions for a John McClane X Men spin off, um, please leave them. Leave me an email, or a or you can contact me on Twitter. So you can contact my Twitter is at All Out Walker. Um, you can also, like I say, you can email me at fillmeuppod at outlook dot com. Um, that's for yeah, just, just anything. If you want to chat about any of the films that we talked about, if you want to suggest any more uh, films to watch, if you want to talk about, if you've seen any of the kind of cast reunions, it would be fun to hear what your thoughts are. Um, but if you f- do follow me on Twitter, then y- you will see on Monday the next three films that I will be studying for Alpha Set. Um, so that will be Set L. Yep, I know my alphabet. Um, so I will put that out on Monday. I don't know what they are right now. Uh, but I will decide then. I will put them out and you will be able to watch along as well if you would like. But if not, then you are welcome to join me anyway be- on Fridays or whenever you're listening to this. Because there's no spoilers. Um, and but yeah, let me know if you actually end up watching one of these films because of the recommendations. I mean, a lot of, I find that a review is, is good in terms of kind of, I like the fact, I like the idea of a review being to let you know if it's any good or not. To let you know if the film is worth watching or not. Um, so that's the reason why I do non-spoilers. Because um, I, I had a lot of friends that would like ask me, if this film's any good, and they would decide whether to see or not. So I thought that this is why I kind of like to do it this way. I know other people do spoilers, but I don't know. If you want to get in touch and we can talk spoilers, I'm all for it. Um, but yeah, um, that is me for this week or this time. Um, I will hopefully see you next time. I'm, I've, I always feel like I need some sort of a catchphrase here. Um, I, oh, I've got it. I've got it. Um, But I will see you next time. Bye. And end scene.